91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at risk. 91 is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Day It's All Changed. This is a new CityWire podcast where we look at the personal stories of how people have adapted to a challenging moment in time and managed to succeed in the face of a steep challenge. Now, our first story, I think, will be relatable. Uh, And for this, I'm joined by James McCauley, who is CEO and co-founder of Encore, which is an online platform for booking musicians for live events. Now, we're going to talk about how James overcame a huge threat to his business on this occasion, a global pandemic, and he managed to turn this potential commercial disaster on its head. So, James, thank you uh, for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you here. It's, and I'm hoping you can get us started by setting the scene. So, firstly, uh, James, uh, you're not from the financial services world. So, can you tell us a little about your career and who you are and also about the, the origin story of Encore? Yeah, absolutely. Um, My career is very straightforward so far. I left university and pretty much exactly the same day I graduated, I moved from Cambridge to London. And about four days after that, I started an accelerator called Entrepreneur First, which is where I met my co-founder, James, and we started Encore in the summer of 2014 when I was 20. Um, I'm now 28 and I've been doing Encore for, you know, seven seven years and uh yeah that's my career so far <laughs> yeah so you went straight into the deep end there. pretty much straight yeah from university. didn't waste any time <laughs> absolutely and uh do you know this podcast obviously obviously is called the day it all changed and and for you as i mentioned earlier i want to talk about the pandemic and you know you're running a business that sits comfortably in the hospitality sector um you know and then the world stops and you can't deliver your service but actually do you know what prizes had you had any previous kind of bumps in the road that were quite similar to to being in a pandemic because you've gone straight from university to running a business has it i know that's a challenging thing but has it been relatively smooth sailing it's not been smooth sailing no there have been lots of difficulties and challenges along the way as a startup um you know we've raised investment from uh from angel investors primarily and in the early days um you know you go out, you raise some money and you set some pretty ambitious revenue targets and you hit most of them and sometimes you don't hit them. And I would say in the first few years, there were some sort of shaky moments um, where as a startup that wasn't profitable at the time, bank balance is starting to get, you know, a little bit, little bit low. Uh, and so there were definitely in the first couple of years, some moments where I thought, okay, there's no guarantee that Encore will be here, you know, a month or two months time. But um nothing could sort of prepare us or, or compare to the sort of effect that the yeah. pandemic had. So, so what had. position are you in at that point? You know, early 2020, you know, you've maybe heard a bit about the pandemic, but it doesn't oh. seem like it's going to be a thing just yet. Where's the business and how are you feeling? Yeah, I remember those months pretty clearly. I remember in January, the media seemed to present COVID as a, a problem, mostly in China. Mm. And it was starting to reach Italy. But you know, it wasn't going to... It was miles away, wasn't it? It was, it was more, yeah, it, exactly. I remember one of my investors who has a background in biology, he emailed me, I think, early February and just said, you know, 
Have you thought about the potential impact of coronavirus? I think it could get quite bad. And I remember sort of reading his email and I remember it sort of bouncing around in my head. And I thought, yeah, this could be a problem. But for now, in February, the media is giving me the impression that this isn't really going to you yeah. know, be too too big a deal. Um, how wrong I was. <laughs> so we had our numbers sort of going up and up and up. February was, I think, best month on record. The first week of March was the, the best week on record we'd ever had in terms of number of bookings. Like in the first week of March, even when COVID was now sort of in the UK, people were still booking musicians for, you know, summer and Christmas. Um, but I'd say the day it all changed would be, I can't remember which day it was, but there was a moment specifically where Boris went on TV Mm -hmm. and he said, don't go to the pub. And for some reason, that was the thing that caused Britain to sort of (laughs) melt down and freak out. And that's when everything started to sort of collapse. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I remember it well. I remember it well. And the question I was going to start with, of course, was, you know, what what was your first thought? I mean, obviously, you've the the real news that that hard hitting British news that the pubs are closed has come through. As a business owner, rather than, you know, because for some people it was gutting they couldn't go to the pub. For you, it, it's so much more than that. So how, how did you feel in that moment? I I was terrified. And I think the media and politicians and a lot of my friends were, had quite a sort of Pollyanna-ish view on things and thought, it's going to be fine. You know, it's being sort of blown out of proportion. It will be gone in a few weeks. And I had some investors and um, actually some some people I follow on Twitter as well were taking a much more cautious, almost apocalyptic view, sort of saying, no, this is actually going to be very bad. It's going to be worse than the media are saying it's going to be. And um, you just sort of batten down the hatches now. Um, so as a business owner, it was, it was absolutely terrifying. And um, to be honest, from mid-March to about mid May is just a bit of a blur for me. Um, we were very lucky that we managed to raise some sort of emergency funding from our investors. Um, but yeah, like it was it was a very fraught time. And I just remember thinking most days I've spent about six years of my life on this business and it could <laughs> just disappear completely due to factors outside of my control. That That must have hurt. It really hurt. I'd say like 90% of that thought was like gut-wrenching and then 10% thought, well, if the business is going to fail, this isn't my fault, but I'm not the sort of person that rolls over and allows, you know, a challenge to sort of um, topple things. So I just remember thinking like, we are going to get out of this. The industry is going to be so much better on the other side of this. Um, We just need to, as a company, refuse to die, basically. Yeah, and you did that, and you had this great idea to use video conferencing tools to to bring music to people in their homes. So, when did that like yeah when did that kind of light bulb turn on, uh, and what was the inspiration for that? So I actually can't tell you the exact moment that light bulb turned on. I think this was an incredible moment where the team rallied together and um, sort of came up with this whole idea of personalized music messages without my co-founder and I, we in a way sort of created a bit of a virtual war room and just had to sort of figure out the financial side of the problem, um, keep investors in the loop, run through. I remember just updating the model on an almost daily basis with a worst case scenario and then a new worst case scenario and then like an even worst case scenario. So we weren't really involved in the day to day. And the team did a brainstorm session and they ranked 
all the different ideas that Encore could try um, to make a bit of money ourselves, but more importantly, to help our musicians because our musicians were just completely unable to perform. Um, And so as a platform, we exist to help them make money doing what they love. So we thought, how can we help musicians make money? And I think during that brainstorm, the top idea was these musical personalized music messages is what we called them. Um, So you can commission a musician to send uh, like a video postcard to, you know, a loved one or a friend or someone who's in hospital or a doctor with a short spoken message and then their favorite song, for example. And the team had this idea, they prototyped it, they interviewed customers, they interviewed musicians, they sort of figured out the pricing model, they decided to give, um, I think it was like a pound from every transaction to the NHS charities as well. Um, and within about two weeks, we had like a working like MVP and by, I think it was actually the 1st of April, we'd launched this and I believe we were one of the first companies in the world to actually sort of launch a COVID pivot. Um, so yeah, we moved extremely swiftly, but I was barely involved in the process <laughs> myself. Possibly the best way to be as a, as a business owner. It was it was in, it was an incredible moment to see the whole team come together, and it's a lesson, I guess, in in hiring the best people possible, mm-hmm. so that you know when you are preoccupied with yeah. other things, um, you don't need to be sort of involved in all of the 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 other projects. So yeah, and that's a real lesson in that I think for people to take away. And from you, from your perspective. You know, it was it was a challenging time because, well, for, besides the obvious, no one had any idea how long this was going to last for. You know, at first it was we could be locked down for two weeks. I remember that. I remember cancelling meetings and saying, I'll see you next month. Yeah. And then it could have been three months, six months. No one really had any idea. So as this progressed and unfolded and, the you know, the, the deadlines, as uncertain as they were, you know, kept moving, the goalposts kept moving. How did you, you know, was, was that a stressful thing for you and how did you deal with it? It was incredibly stressful. It was impossible completely impossible to plan it was impossible to to forecast it was impossible to set targets it was a a case of our inquiry volume i believe fell to about maybe 10 percent of what it had been and revenue fell to a similar sort of fraction of where it had been and it was just a case of help any customer who comes to us right now book their music for you know if they're planning to do something in the autumn or if it's next year just try and help them find the musician and we changed a lot of our policies throughout last year so that you could book risk-free and if your event was cancelled due to coronavirus or whatever um we'd help you move it or you'd get a full refund so we made it as sort of easy and and stress-free as possible for customers but it was trying to just sort of make the most of every single customer that came to us and it was very difficult to to plan anything it was really just get by you know get through each month and and sort of carry out damage control, I yeah. think. And and when you launched the you know the video messages, uh, and, you know, and using video tools in other ways, how how confident were you? Because this was this was different. And I suppose you weren't doing this pre-pandemic. So was there a thought when you started doing it? Yes, it seemed to have come from your team. Yes, they're they're capable and talented people. But did you ever worry that people just aren't going to go for this? I remember just before we launched it. I was sort of unsure and I I thought <clears throat> well, yeah exactly that will people will people buy this but there were some early reactions from uh our first few customers that sort of confirmed to me that it was something people would would really love um actually one I think one of the very first 
sort of music messages we did, I think we hired one of our own musicians to sing happy birthday to one of our team. And she was so touched by it. And it was like her favorite song from The Lion King 2. And <laughs> she was um, just blown away. And I remember, yeah, thinking like that reaction was so special to, to the product. Um, if, you know, if everybody reacts in a similar way, then we could be on something. And the first few bookings and the first few sort of reactions that came in really confirmed that that we'd, we'd built something people loved. And, and there was definitely sort of product market fit there. Yeah, for sure. And it was such an interesting time. You mentioned that reaction to yeah, the song from The Lion King 2. I, I think we were all in a position where our emotional responses to things were, were different or heightened oh, yeah. or, you know. I think I cried at things I wouldn't usually cry at. <laughs> March <laughs> yeah. and April last year, certain things just pushed me over the edge. Yeah. And it was I, a very I think, fraught time. I think a lot of people will relate to that. And Joe, you know, I've actually got some stuff to put that into some context for you. I, you know, we can talk about these lockdowns in hindsight, but, you know, to get a scale of the, the problems for the hospitality sector in the UK. So in April 2020, 1.6 million employees in the sector were on furlough. That's a huge part of the of the population in, in general. You know, wages paid by the government. Uh, as for business owners, um, at the start of June 2021, 14% of pubs and bars and 15% of licensed restaurants in the UK uh, reported to the Office for National Statistics that they had high confidence their business would survive three months. So, you know, 15 and 14% three months. It's really not much time. And then, you know, in May 2021, with a lockdown, uh, you know, edging towards a full lifting, consumer spending on hospitality was still just under 70% of what it had been prior to the pandemic. So for you, I mean, <laughs> the stress, the financial concerns, how did you deal with it personally? Good question. I, I well, personally, I tried to stay active and I, I tried to sort of maintain some semblance of a routine. Uh, I, I'm very into running and cycling, and those were things that thankfully we were allowed to continue doing, even if it was only sort of half an hour a day yeah. at first. So I was definitely, you know, running a lot and working out a lot and trying to get sunlight when I could, when I was allowed outside the house. Um, I was speaking to a lot of on other entrepreneurs, so I'm part of a few sort of networks of entrepreneurs, and, and I have actually a group of uh, six entrepreneurs I meet with once a month and we sort of talk through problems and go into a lot of detail and share you know how we're feeling and those support systems helped an awful lot because um, yes you can talk to your friends your family your partner about what you're going through but um, I don't think anybody can quite sort of understand mm -hmm. that feeling and the sort of weight of responsibility that you feel um, and obviously other business owners can. So there was a lot of, of just talking to, to other people. I remember just sort of having a beer on Zoom with a few other founders of event tech companies. And it was cathartic in a way just to sort of talk about, you know, what we were going through and to hear that everyone was going through varying sort of degrees of, of um, awfulness. Yeah. Um, so I'd say, yeah, leaning on other people and... Um, and, and sort of trying to personally stay active and, and sort of look after my own mental health yeah. is how I got through I, it. I can imagine you could easily get caught up in other thoughts. I mean, how, how many staff are you responsible for, James? So at the time, I think we had, including freelancers, maybe 11 or 12 people. Mm -hmm. So a pretty small company, but um, obviously I care about every single member yeah. of that team. And and now uh, we're something like 22 or 23. So we've, we've definitely bounced back and we're doing far better now than we were before. Um, 
but yeah, there were there were sort of eleven or twelve people whose whose salaries and livelihoods were sort of definitely at risk <laughs> for yeah. a lot of last year, including you know myself and my co-founder as well. Yeah, and uh, and to look at the things that, that saved that and also enabled you to grow the business during during such a time. What were the most popular bookings? You know, what were people wanting uh, during the lockdown? There were so at the during the first lockdown, the main product we were selling was. Um, these personalized music messages. There were a lot of, you know, people celebrating birthdays and the birth, you know, they couldn't obviously have anyone around at all. Um, there were quite a lot of people sending videos to like doctors in the NHS or people on the front lines who were just really having such a tough time. Um, and then there were also quite a few companies who were sort of booking them to, to boost morale and to sort of just sort of give the team something joyful to, to sort of share. So I, I what I quite liked about it was every single booking was was very unique. And, uh, you know, it was a very sort of unique and often very sort of touching story behind every booking. And we did over, I think, over a thousand of them. Um, but the, the popular sort of themes were were birthdays and and yeah, sort of life events, maybe even people who were supposed to get married who couldn't, um, those were the main themes. And then in, in the second, I think it was the second lockdown in uh, whenever it was winter 2020, we were doing a lot of um, virtual Christmas parties. So we had musicians that were sort of entertaining whole teams of people. Um, and we sort of definitely in the first lockdown focused on the consumers sending these personalized messages. And in the second one, we tried to help businesses entertain teams when they couldn't have a Christmas party. Yeah, it's such a fascinating thing. I've got, I've got to admit, the idea of a virtual Christmas party doesn't doesn't fill me with much joy. I but... don't think anyone wants one <laughs> this year, and I would prefer not to be booking musicians for virtual Christmas parties this year. Yeah, I mean that should almost be an ESG barrier for investing in your company there. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe I'm a bit of a Scrooge, James. <laughs> I think that's probably what, what's really going on here. But anyway, James, from from that last uh, you know year year and a half. Uh, you've, you've touched upon some of this already, but you know, as a business owner, you've learned a huge amount about change management and dealing with with, with difficult scenarios. So, what what lessons would you say are the biggest ones you've learned, and, and what advice would you have to to other people? You know, because pandemics, I hope, aren't going to come along too often. But really, people are really <laughs> hope <not. laughs> exactly. But really people are people are thrown into situations sometimes completely beyond their control where they've got to adapt very quickly. Mm. From what you've learned, what would your advice be to other business owners who are in such a scenario? Quite yeah, quite a few sort of pieces of advice, I guess. Um, I okay, so I bef before COVID, especially, I was sort of sending a monthly investor update. So every single month, I sent a templated update that I would fill in about what we were excited about, what we were concerned about, um, the KPIs. And so our investors had this very sort of clear like pulse of the company. So when I came to them and said, look, we have some problems, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, d we do need your help. Um, they'd been kept in the loop and I think they felt a lot of um, sort of, they felt very close to the company and I think they were quite keen to like help and support. I know other founders and I've heard sort of investors complain about this who, raise the money, maybe send one quarterly investor update and then sort of forget to invest, you know, keep investors in the loop. And you can imagine as an investor, if you don't hear from a company for months and then suddenly they're coming back asking for money, it's not, perhaps not the best sort of dynamic. So that would be my, my one like first piece of advice would be um, just keep your investors in the loop because when there is a, a disaster, um, they're going to be more likely and, and to want to help you. 
Um, with the team, we tried to share as much as possible, as frequently as possible. Um, so as well as what I mentioned earlier, just hire great people who have initiative. Um, yeah, just, you know, almost every day, certainly every week, we were giving quite a sort of transparent view of things and sort of drawing the line at certain points to, you know, there were some pieces of information that the team didn't need to know, like how much or how little runway we had left um, in the first lockdown, but um, keeping them um, as informed as possible, um, I think like helped a lot and trying not to shield them from like the big problems. Um, and then there were moments, like I said, my, I sort of just adopted this mantra of like, I'm not going to let this company go under. Like, I've just refused to accept this. And one example of that was the government announced the bounce back loans. And, uh, you know, you could get up to 50K with very favorable terms. And unfortunately, the bank that we had been banking with for years wasn't on the list of providers. So I had to open a new bank account with a bank in order to access this, um, along with tens of thousands of other entrepreneurs who were trying to open new bank accounts with these banks. And, it, you know, I spent hours like in sort of waiting lines, you know, on live chat and trying to call these banks. And I just I remember like setting up accounts with like Starling and exploring Revolut and trying to open an HSBC account. And eventually this is a very sort of random story, but I remembered a year ago getting a connection request from someone at Metro Bank mm -hmm. and I messaged him and said, I can see that you're sort of launching bounce back loans soon. Is there any chance we could set up an account? And he sort of expedited the process, did everything I could, had it ready on the Friday evening. They went live on Monday and we got our loan like that in wow. like five minutes. And then this queue of like a thousand people formed. Um, and I just remember thinking like, I, I sort of had to hustle our way and sort of try every possible avenue to get this bounce back loan. Um, and it sort of taught me just the, the importance of, yeah, like, um, thinking thinking outside the box a little bit and just, again, just being persistent and sort yeah. of tenacious in trying to solve problems. Because um, there were moments where I thought, well, we're just not going to get a loan. But if we hadn't got it, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. Wow, yeah. And also personal relationships. I mean, the connection you had there exactly. is yeah. such a thing. And, and exactly. I find it interesting. It almost reflects back on what you were saying about content, uh, you know, or the videos that were being commissioned when you started. It was all about personal things, mm. messages that, that spoke to people. And that's, mm. uh, that's really fascinating. Final question for you, James, uh, which is, you know, this one's always easy, Captain Hindsight and all the rest. But if you could go back and do anything differently, you know, relating to how you ran the business during during the pandemic, you know, w what would you do? That's a good question. In a way, I almost wouldn't change anything. And I hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but I'm sitting here now with, you know, a team that's twice the size. We've been setting new records almost every month this year. Um, and we've we've sort of bounced back mm -hmm. um, in, in an incredible way in the last sort of nine months. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, James, I've invited you onto a podcast to talk about your success at the end of the <laughs> pandemic. So, you know, you, you've got some leeway to, to give that answer. <laughs> I think, um, well, I remember, so actually I remember at the time these personalized music messages, they garnered so much press attention. They got us more press in about two weeks than we'd ever had in the like first six years of the business. But... They weren't really a moneymaker. They were a very low ticket item. So for context, we typically, our average booking size at Encore is about five or 600 pounds and we make a commission on that. These 
uh, personalized music messages were priced at a very low sort of e-card level mm-hmm. almost. And we were making a few pounds per booking. So I remember in the moment thinking, this press attention is great. And, you know, it's good to, to sort of be helping the NHS. And I'm proud of the work we've done, but this really isn't making very much money. But I look back and all of that sort of press attention and all the backlinks that we gained like boosted our SEO rankings massively. It meant when demand came back this year, we were ranking far, far higher on Google and getting far more customers and demand. And so it, it was the right thing to do. I remember also we took a view in January that we weren't going to actually do any more virtual events. Like we thought people are going to now want to plan in-person events and we want to sort of park virtual in 2020 and I remember other companies really sort of investing in virtual events and sort of going all in and now again I'm glad that we made that decision so um, I really do hope this doesn't come across as as sort of arrogant Um, but I think just the way things unfolded and the way we approached all of the problems um, has gotten me to this point now and so I, I actually wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, don't worry. James, I've invited you to the studio. I'm not going to slate you. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> James, look, thank you, honestly, so much for joining me. It's so interesting to hear about your business uh, and, and great news that you you kept it going and grew it during, during the lockdown. Uh, and thanks also to everyone who's been listening in. I've been Ian Horn, and this has been The Day It All Changed. 91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at Risk. 91 is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.